0: on page 1182 in the church bibles and it's from the book of colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23 the supremacy of the son of god the Son is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for in him so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Morning. Morning. Whoa, If hope I haven't bitten off too much. <laughs> what a powerful passage of scripture. And if, I dare say if I had four months to preach on it, I wouldn't do it justice, but I've got just precious few minutes now. So let's pray that God works in us all, that we receive something in these few moments, eh? Father God, we thank you for Scripture. We thank you for this uh, particular piece of Scripture where Paul erupts into excitement as he explores the true nature of Jesus. Help us to grasp maybe just a little bit of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, I'm going all technical, I'm doomed. That's <laughs> destined to fail. Have we got my PowerPoint on? Great. It might be better if we take these big ones off at least for a bit. There we go. Right, so Colossians chapter one verses fifteen to twenty-three. And I thought we'd start this morning with a little game. You all up for that? Yeah. Good. Okie cocky. This game is called Little Picture, Big Picture. Okay? It's not a complicated game. You've just got to work out what's going on and what we're looking at. So what we're looking at here. A what? A snake there? A tadpole? Football. Football. Interesting. Let's go to the big picture. Big picture. Next click. There you go. Look at that. What was tremendously complicated and sort of complex <laughs> has become even more <laughs> tremendous and complex. It, this is... One of those little midgy-type, bitey things that you just bat off or squat. And that's how beautiful it is. And that's how complex it is when we can look at it in high definition down a microscope. Let's move on to the next one. What's that? It's a model. It's not a real man. But what is it? Can you work it out? It is. It's a model of someone mowing a bush or a grass or something, but if we go to the big picture, what is it now? <laughs> it's broccoli. And this one's really interesting because the the model is only there to help us to understand perspective. And even then the perspective's all messed up because we're actually looking at something in a different way. Next one. We're gonna I'm twisting this a little bit, we're gonna go big picture first. Okay, that arrow oh. Oh, give me a clicker. What we're looking at there is the big picture. Okay? And actually, that little blue dot is a single pixel taken of something a a long, long way away. Do you know what it is? (laughs) Think. So that's a big picture. This actually is a little picture, if we zoomed in and zoomed in and zoomed in, that is planet Earth. If we go back to the last picture, Isaac, that is a picture from Voyager of the planet Earth on its last parting goodbye, just after the orbit of Neptune. It turned its camera around and took a snapshot and it gathered a single pixel of blue light, and that blue light is planet Earth. That is indeed the big picture. This is the small picture. Perspective again, it's really important. Okay, last one. Who's that? It's cheesy, Jesus. (laughs) And our perspective on Jesus is really important. We can miss quite a lot to do with our faith if we only have Just a small concept of who Jesus is. Who's your buddy? Jesus is my friend and and there's there's no shame in that, but he came and he is much more than that. And so when we think about who Jesus was, we've got the Gospels that sort of tell us exactly what people were saying about him at the time. People were saying that he was Elijah who'd returned from the dead. Other people were saying that he was a wise man or a prophet. Some people are saying that he was some messianic figure, maybe you know, a great sort of zealot militant that would rise up and defeat the Romans. All of these sort of ideas may be true or have a vein of truth or may indeed be false. The best way to understand Jesus is to have a look at what Jesus said about himself. And he, and he, he talked about himself in many ways, but two of his boldest claims were these. The first one was that he called himself the son of man. And he used that expression quite often when he was referring to himself. And in one sense, he's empathising with everybody around us that he is just like us. He is a human being. He lives and he feels and he hurts just like every one of us. He's a son of man like we all are. But Jesus also used that as a title Almost like rank. He is the son of man. The first of all men. And that probably wound up a few people. But not enough for them to pick up stones and throw it at him. The next title he gave himself was the one that really upset people. And that's the title, The Son of God. And as soon as he started talking like that, they were reaching for the stones and they were plotting to kill him. Jesus referred to himself uh, as, well, he said things like this. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That annoyed people. He said things like, I and my Father are one. He said things like, before Abraham, I am And in that instance, he was claiming the very name of God himself, Yahweh. And the people around him were livid. And eventually, for that claim, claiming to be the son of God, it's that claim that led him to the cross. And it's that claim that caused him to be crucified. So we need to get the big picture. We need to understand what Christianity is about And the first verse of this passage gives us the big picture. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The claim that Jesus made, and what Paul wants us to understand this morning, is that Jesus was equal to God. Jesus was equal to God. If you want to get to know the mysteries of God the Father, and get to know Jesus. This verse verse 15 uses an expression, the firstborn, and it is quite a disputed uh, and contentious expression. It can mean one of two things. It can mean quite literally that he was born first, or he who was born first, um, the the eldest, uh, the firstborn in a family, or it's often used as an expression of the individual who receives the inheritance. Okay, the firstborn or the birthrights. And that's actually quite interchangeable. So if you look uh, in your Old Testament at the story of Esau and Jacob, Esau was the youngest. He was due the inheritance. But Jacob came along and tricked his father Isaac out of it. And from that moment on, Jacob received the inheritance and he was referred to as the firstborn. If we move a little bit uh, further forwards, Joseph was the youngest of a whole brood of brothers, and yet God used him and blessed him, and it was Joseph who was described as having the inheritance, and it's Joseph who was described as the firstborn amongst all his brothers, because because it's to do with inheritance. And I think in this passage, certainly in this first verse, when... Jesus is referred to as the firstborn of all creation. We're talking about inheritance, what Jesus deserves. We're talking about what Jesus's rank in the order of things is. Let's use a diagram to help us. Here we go. God the Father, we've got a line, and under that line are all things. God who is and was and always has been, is above everything else. Everything else is created and below God, but God is eternal. And we'll call that line the line of creation. So anything that sits under that is a created thing. Anything above that is God eternal, God the Father. We could look at it this way. If we want to ask that big question, who was Jesus? We could look at the diagram this way. God the Father... God the Son, all things. And this was a really big argument in the early church. Uh, in AD 325 at the Council of Nicaea, there was a chap running around called Arius, and he said, There was a time when the Son was not. And in saying that, he placed Jesus below the line of creation. And the, the Orthodox Christians, the ones that were sticking to the truth and to Scripture, argued tooth and nail against this. And Athanasius said, No, there was not a time when the sun was not. And it got rather complicated. It got so out of hand that uh, legend has it that St. Nicholas ho, 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 ho. <laughs> jumped down from uh, th- this counseling in uh, Nicaea, ran across the stage, and bot Arius in the nose. Because what Arius was saying was, was heretical. And in the end, the council won because they come up with a wonderful formula, a wonderful expression of who Jesus was. And they said that Jesus was begotten, not made. And that's their formula, that Jesus was above the line of creation. He was before all things, ruling over all things, Now this is important because if all creation is tainted by sin, if every earthquake, every crime and every tragedy is as a result of some sort of corruption and sin in the world, it would not be possible for a created thing to rise up and provide the healing, reconciliation, restoration that God wants for all of his creation. This solution for life's and indeed creation's pain must come from somewhere above that line. Somewhere equal to and on a par with God the Father himself. And that was Jesus' own claim. And it was proved through miracles. It was confirmed at his resurrection and proclaimed from Ascension Day forwards by every faithful Christian who's ever gone since. Jesus was God. That's the big picture. But the picture is actually about to get a bit bigger. So let's read on. Verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. There is a world out there, people, that stretches... To the furthest ends of the universe, and I dare say beyond it. It's a world that science will never be able to understand and will never be able to measure or observe, because what science does is study what's natural. And verse 16 tells us that the sun is not, not only did he create the natural world in the universe, but he also created the supernatural as well. The supernatural belongs under the line of creation. Every spiritual being, be they angels or demons, every spiritual place, be it heaven or hell, it was created by the Son, through the Son, and importantly, for the Son. Paul says that Christ is above all things in heaven and on earth, and he reigns supreme. There is nothing that is not under him. There is nothing that does not owe its existence because of him. For before he is, next slide, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And this is the big picture about that lowly carpenter, that 33-year-old man from a stubborn Roman province on the eastern seaboard of the Mediterranean who died a death amongst two thieves and was buried in a borrowed tomb. This is the amazing thing that the disciples came to realise, that the man who said, come and follow me, was the Lord and the giver of life. And everything he ever claimed he was was justified when God the Father raised him up on high to be seated next to him and to rule over all things. Again, science thinks or suspects there's a truth out there that's yet to be found. And they've spent billions of pounds creating gigantic rings that they can send atoms through and smash up so that they can get a better understanding of what, holds all things together. And that's what they think is the elusive Higgs boson. And what they found is this picture. They've smashed these atoms together and they've extrapolated the data and sort of rendered it so that we can visualise what's going on at the deepest subatomic place. That's what we've got. Well... you ask me, it's a lot of money for nothing. (laughs) And they needn't have bothered in some way. If only they'd had eyes to see. That all matter holds together from the tiniest atom to the largest supercluster of galaxies in the universe because of the sun's will and the sun's influence. The sun is before all things. And in the sun, all things are held together. And that includes atoms and that includes galaxies. God didn't just wind up the universe and let it go to exist autonomously. Like some glorified watchmaker to create a piece of art and yet to walk away from it. No, God, through his son, he not only created all things, but he's also the sustainer of all things as well. Seen and unseen. And he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So in everything, he might have supremacy. And that's the crux of it. That nothing created was ever going to fix the mess that creation had and has become. Nothing created could do that. It took the creator God himself to come down to earth, to be vulnerable and to remain vulnerable, dying on that cross for our sins, dying on that, on that cross to pay the debt for, for the things that we've done wrong so that we might be given new life, that we might be reborn or recreated in him and reign with him. And so the firstborn man to die but to be raised back to life because he was the holiest man ever to be, has become the head, the first over all that was dead, but have found new life. And who was dead? Who's that? It's us, Lord. It's the church. Once we were dead, but now we're alive. Not for our own efforts, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus reigns supreme over us, as well as all other things. And any church that forgets this, worse still, any church that does not preach this will surely perish. Jesus must be our centre. Jesus must be our head. He is the firstborn amongst us through his resurrection, and he is the firstborn amongst us, because God has given him the inheritance of all things to reign over For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now don't ask me too much about how I know this to be true. but I believe it is. But we can often fall into the trap of thinking salvation is all about me. What has God done for me? The truth of the matter is it's probably a bit bigger than that because salvation is all about what God has done for us and how God has restored our people to himself. Reconciling us and making us holy and becoming blameless in his eyes. But there is actually an even bigger picture here about what salvation is all about, and this is that Jesus didn't just die to save us. But Jesus died also to save the planets and to save the galaxy. Can you imagine that, that Jesus' blood was not only effective for those of us that believe in our hearts and can confess with our mouths that he rose again? But it's also effective enough for the things that are unseen in heaven, in space, on earth, and at the deepest subatomic levels. And the days come in when all of creation... Will be restored, and a day is coming when every knee will drop to the floor and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for us who have come to this realization through faith and through an awakening by the Holy Spirit, what has actually happened to us? You see, once you're alienated from God and are enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you remember a month or so ago, I preached on Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And Paul returns to the same theme here. It's repeated. Paul says that what God has done is He's brought you into peace with him. That age-old, millennial-old war between God and man is over for us. The debt is paid and we're welcome in his presence. We can have an absolute hope and certainty about this, an absolute confidence that we will see future glory with him. God has justified us. God has made us right in his eyes. We do not have to fear him anymore. We just have to hold out our hands and receive the life that he wants to offer through his son. We were dead, but now we are alive, reborn as part of a body to whom its head is God's own son. And if we continue in our faith, established and firm, and we do not move from that hope held out in the gospel, he will see us through and complete that good work in the end. We'll inherit all that Jesus has inherited, be that in heaven or on earth, seen or unseen. He will raise us up on the last day and we'll walk into heaven and we will take our seats as his bride and he being our groom And we'll reign with him over all creation. The Bible says that the church is destined for some really great things. Um, One example is that we will judge the angels. That's fascinating. What esteem does God have for us? Jesus is our head and we are his body. And he will reign supreme over all things. And this is the big picture good news that you heard when you first met Jesus. This is the big picture good news that's been preached every day since he rose to heaven. Preached in places seen and unseen and preached to all creation. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are not a distant and remote Father who's inconceivable, who's ununderstandable, un- remote. We thank you that you are a Father who's intimate with us, who is close to us, and who chose to dwell in the fullness of your image through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to understand to grow close to, to reflect your son. Help us to appreciate your awesome creation. But Lord, may we never worship created things. May we only ever worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.